What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the latest edition of the Fans of Philly podcast. Today's episode is number 27. And on today's podcast, me and James will break down the Eagles week three tie to the Cincinnati Bengals final score of 23 to 23. A lot to break down. We discuss everything from Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, injuries and a lot more. So I really hope you enjoy this one. All right, Eagles fans, we're back. Fans of Philly podcast with the first week of the season that we have not lost. We are <laughs> not losers on this podcast. Uh, James, after the the very uh, anticlimactic tie to the Cincinnati Bengals in week three, how are you feeling about that game? I, I don't know what it is with the Cincinnati Bengals, but we just like can't seem to beat them sometimes. I think our record is three nine and two now this is the second tie we've ever had i just did not expect this at all coming into the season that we would just be this much of a downfall right now um and looking next to the like next three games it doesn't look like it's gonna get much better there's just so many things that i saw wrong from yesterday i can't really pinpoint i can't really blame it on one guy and when you usually can't blame it on one guy on the field it means it's the problems upstairs that's what it is it's the coaching it's the staff and it's the organization. They're all at fault for this, for putting a team like that out there on the field. And I don't even want to blame it on the injuries anymore because I was thinking about this and I was like, I want to get your opinion on this too. Um, I know we're notorious for having injuries all the time, but I'm looking around the NFL. Every team is having injuries right now. So is it fair to blame the injury bug like card on the Eagles right now? Or do you think that's just a problem going on within the NFL because of the whole lack of practicing with the whole COVID thing going on. I think everybody's dealing with a lot of injuries. Yeah, I think it's tough uh, as Eagles fans to continue to lean on that as an excuse. Um, I will say it has been a valid excuse for the past three years because we um, have been bitten by the injury bug more than any other franchise in that amount of time. But I think this year, I don't know. I I mean, you see big name guys go down in, in other places on other teams but it just seems like, um, you know, I, I know we had, we had the 49ers that lose uh, a handful of, of key guys in one week and stuff like that. But that just seems like the norm for us. We go into a game already in shambles and then we leave even worse. You you go into the game without Brandon Brooks and Isaac Suomalo and no Alshon Jeffrey. And um, then we leave the game with um, no Avante Maddox, no Dallas Goddard. Uh, Jason Peters didn't finish the game, although he'll be okay. And Deshaun Jackson didn't finish the game. And um, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside had a a lower body problem pregame. So it's just like it seems like every week we we go into, you know, the week already in shambles and we leave even worse. Uh, It's just – I guess you're right. It's not a good excuse to have because everybody's dealing with it, but it's been a common theme around here for a while. Yeah, and this is – like this is my problem because after I saw the 49ers game yesterday – and there's no question about it that we are head and shoulders the most injured team in the NFL the past few years. Like, we, we're past everybody by a mile. But I saw the 49ers play with a backup quarterback yesterday and still look like an elite team. Like, they're really cohesive, and they know where everybody's going to be on the field at the same time. And that's – I don't see that at all with the Eagles. I see no rhythm. I see no chemistry. I don't see any of that. And that's why I think, like, you know, it's – that's a reflection on the coaching. That's a reflection on the – staff that's not a reflection on the players you're supposed to put your players in the right position 
And then your players are obviously supposed to go out there and ball out. And yeah, you can put some blame on the players, but when it's that bad as a whole, it's got to be something in the organization that's a huge disconnect. Yeah, I don't think we can um, pinpoint one problem uh, with the Eagles this season through three weeks being 0-2-1, but um, just diving into this game, it was, a, it was a sloppy game from the start. Nobody scored in the first quarter, and um, most of the scoring took place in the second quarter. Um, we'll get to Carson Wentz because, of course, that's probably where we'll spend most of our time. Um, but the fact that Miles Sanders was able to get something going on the ground, averaging 5.3 a clip, um, no other running back really had um, success outside of uh, Miles. Of course, Carson rushed for 65 yards of his own. But um, the fact that Doug, you know, continues to not lean on the run game, especially when you're having uh, consistency problems at quarterback is is just another reason why I don't kind of buy into the it's all Carson's fault narrative. Um, what do you think about the offensive game plan uh, through three weeks? Yeah, it's been very questionable. And my whole thing is, is with Miles Sanders, I don't know if you're trying to put him on a pitch count right now because he didn't practice much during the offseason. But when you get a guy that's really just – like looks like he's a step ahead of everybody else on the offense. He's a playmaker, he's explosive, and you're not giving him the ball as much. I think if you give Miles Sanders the ball more than what you did yesterday, like another 10 touches, you end up winning that game just off pure playmaking abilities. So it's kind of a shame that you're not really taking advantage of your best weapon right now, but I don't know exactly why they're doing it. I, I think it's because of the pitch count thing, because that's what Doug said today is that he's just – making sure the fatigue is not going to be a factor for him going forward. And then Miles Sanders came back like two hours later in a press conference and says, I feel fine. I'm in football shape. I'm ready to go. So uh, it's, it's on the Eagles to do that. That's your best chance of winning right now. Yeah. I get Doug saying that he doesn't want to burn him out, which, you know, he had 18 carries, um, but he also had four receptions. So that's 22 total touches. And I don't even think it's, really uh we need more miles sanders it's you ran miles 18 times and then the next back with the closest carry amount is Corey clement with three so you if if miles is running the football and he's having this type of success if you're if you don't want to run miles into the ground then you either need to show Corey and Boston that you have faith in them as the second and third backs, or you needed to sign Devontae Freeman. You needed to sign Carlos Hyde. You needed to sign a back that you feel comfortable giving 10, 12 carries a game if you're not trying to run miles into the ground because you're giving them 20 touches a game, which I think is an appropriate amount to give a back like Miles. Uh, because he does, he, you know, he can give you carries on the ground and reception. So I think uh, Doug and Deuce need to figure that out. They need to run the ball more and they need to get Corey and Boston more involved, or they need to find a guy that they can give more carries to. Yeah, it's, it's just like hard for me to say, because I don't want to see Miles Sanders go down the road that Saquon went when they just ran him to, into the ground and he's got another injury again this season which is like it's a really a shame because he's one of the best players in the NFL but this conservative play sheet that you have going on here with the passing is absolutely terrible like you're not getting anybody open you're not getting anybody um downfield 
it just looks like a sad, pathetic offense. And I don't see, like, I don't look forward to the Eagles offense coming out onto the field anymore because I know it's just going to be the same plays that you ran the week prior. I don't know who's the new guys that you brought in. I mean, like Scangarello and, um, but I'm not sure who's responsible for calling these plays or drawing these plays up. I know Doug has a big part in it, but it's just nothing. Like, you're getting nothing out of it. I don't know why they're not changing it up. Why they're not trying to go more up-tempo just to get some fuel into the Eagles offense. There's just so many factors that go into it. Maybe it's Jason Peters because Jason Peters can't hold up. So you can't put him in an up-tempo offense. And I think Jason Peters was like one of the biggest reasons we lost that game yesterday because he was supposed to be out there for the field goal attempt uh, towards the end of the game. It wasn't supposed to be Matt Pryor. He's usually the left tackle that's out there when, uh, you know, when the kicker's going up there. So, um, and then Matt Pryor, first time he's ever been on field goal attempt, of course, he jumps, false starts, five yards, catches us, and then we have to punt the ball. Yeah, and I think uh, that's a perfect segue to um, – and I, I didn't get your take on this because uh, we didn't really talk after the game because I think we're both of the same um, Pretty ideology of when we lose, it's – you know, we don't really care to talk about anything. Um, mm-hmm. So – our first time talking about it, I've heard the, you know, you got to be aggressive. I can't believe Doug did that. Uh, Doug from the past wouldn't have done that. Uh, I can't believe you didn't go for it or you didn't kick the field goal. I'm here to let you guys know that Jake Elliott is not going to make a 64-yard field goal. Not happening, never will. Uh, I wouldn't even trust him if he had the wind, okay? He made a 61-yarder in 2017. That was – a miracle okay the guy doesn't have leg like that I I would give Jake Elliott's range a good 55 yards and closer is where I would be comfortable with him kicking the football um Mm -hmm. 64 yard field goal he's not making it and then you want him to go for it on what would it have been fourth and 12 yeah with nobody able to get open yeah that wasn't gonna happen fourth and 12 no offensive threat I mean you have Zach Ertz but they they would double Zacherts. They key on Zacherts. So he's not he's probably not going to get open. They're going to key on him. So um but even that aside, there's twenty seconds ish left. Nineteen twenty seconds, I think, was what they had. It might it might have been less. I don't know exactly. But um we're around midfield, correct? So you want Doug to go for it on fourth and twelve, which would probably have one ended up in a sack, which would have mm-hmm. brought them onto our side of the field which they would have already been in field goal-ish range if it ended in a sack, or if it ends in an incomplete pass, the clock stops. The clock would have stopped anyway. And um, they get the ball back, and they they have no timeouts, of course. But all they have to do is run one play, get a chunk of 8 to 10 yards, get out of bounds, and kick a field goal to win the game. So if I'm the, the, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm making the same call as Doug. Do I be brash and quote unquote aggressive and lose my team the game? And uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So if that happens, I get the reports on uh, Monday that I should have I should have played safe and conservative, and uh, a tie's better than a loss. So it's just you, you can't really win when you're in that situation if you're Doug. I think you made the right call. Yeah, and and if you're in a different division, it's a whole nother ball game. But the fact that you're in the NFC East and the NFC the East looks like hot garbage right now. A tie can really be the difference between winning the division and losing the division. 
Not saying that we're going to make a run because we just don't look like that kind of team right now. But I really did understand Doug's, you know, thought process after I got over my anger because at first I'm like, you play to win. Like, you're supposed to want to win the game, not settle for a tie. But I think he was just happy to get out of there without losing the game because at that point, your offense looks like they can't, you know, get anything going. I don't think anybody was going to get open or I don't think Wentz was going to have the time to get a throw off and then – with our secondary outside of Darius Slay, you had uh, Avante Maddox already injured, so they were going to probably attack Trevor Williams on a 10-yard out, you know, easily kick a field goal. We would be 0-3. And, and I know nobody wants to hear it, but at this point, yeah, a tie is a lot better than going 0-3, especially for our case in the division. So in, in hindsight, I was okay with it. I think I would rather Doug have gone for it for a two-point conversion when they finally tied the game in the fourth quarter, because I feel a lot more comfortable with the Eagles offense getting two yards than I would with Jake Elliott kicking a 64 yard field goal, you know, one's more likely to happen than the other. Yeah. Agreed. I think the thing too, with, um, the, with people, you know, Doug should have, um, kicked the, kicked the field goal, attempt the field goal or, um, you know, gone for it I just I don't know I think Doug made the right choice hindsight's always 20-20 but like you said when we're talking about this division where uh, a tie can can really be the difference between um, winning the division and not going to the playoffs or getting a wild card berth uh, especially with there's uh, an extra playoff team in each conference this year and then another thing that I want to point out is um the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. So the 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 Eagles, the general Eagles fans complaint is that you're not playing to win the game. You're not being aggressive. You're you're just trying not to lose. You're not trying to win. So you're up 28 to 3. What do you call what Atlanta did? Would you call that being aggressive and trying to win the game or lousy strategy, poor coaching and gift wrapping the game to the Patriots. I would call it the latter. It's strategy. When you're up and you have a chance to win the game, you do what? You run the ball. You bleed the clock. You try to preserve the win, right? So if you're Doug, I don't want to lose. A tie is way better than a win. Not way better, but it's better than a win. I mean, a loss. So um, I just think that, you know, the whole – you've got to be aggressive and try to win the game and not try to lose um, is – uh, just bullcrap because when you're ahead by three and you're in the fourth quarter with two minutes and you got the ball back, you run the ball to bleed the clock. You don't try to score. Yeah. And, and I think everybody should take with a grain of salt today what uh, Doug said in the press conference that in hindsight, he probably would have gone for it. And that time he's just saying that. So he doesn't lose faith in his players because if Doug says that it kind of sends a message that I don't really believe in my team. I don't really think they could have got the job done which is exactly what he thought in the moment. He said, look, my offense is not good enough right now, and I don't trust my defense to be able to cover, you know, one receiver on a 10-yard out. And I completely understand him because they've been playing like that all season. I support his decision-making, even though I hated it. It was one of the worst things I've had to witness. But there's a reason why Doug said that in, in the press, and now everybody's mad at him for making that decision, like, you know, going back on his word. But he has to say that so he doesn't lose faith in the team. You can't go behind your team's back and say that in a press conference. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I completely agree. I just think there's so much going on with this team um, through three weeks, no wins. 
uh, and we got the the ever important tie on our uh, record going forward. But um, going forward, kind of put this game behind us. We're not going to transition to next week's opponent, but just thinking bigger picture of the season, what do you think uh, is kind of your forecast, your forecast, your outlook for this uh, team this season going forward? Are you optimistic? Are you a little pessimistic? You know, what do you kind of see going forward? Right now, you know, the best thing I can hope for is for players to come back off the injury report list and maybe you get a spark going from those guys, especially someone like Alshon Jeffrey, just to open the offense up. But if I'm talking in terms of, like, Jalen Hurts, if I wanted to see him in, because I know everybody wants to hear that and everybody wants to get into that, I think that would probably be one of the absolute worst mistakes the Eagles would make because – if, I don't think people understand. If you bring in Jalen Hurts, that there's no going back from you. You've essentially told the fan base, the organization, and the players on the field that you've lost all faith in Carson Wentz. So you basically just gave up that whole big contract that you've given him because you can't just turn back. Like, it's one thing if you bench Carson Wentz during a game to send a message because he's playing poorly, but it's a whole new thing if you say Saturday – the day before a game, Carson Wentz, you're not starting. We're putting in Jalen Hurts. I, I don't see that happening at all. And if it does happen, it would be very late in the season when nothing else matters and the Eagles were continuing on a decline. But I'm just telling, like, Eagles fans right now, be careful what you wish for because Jalen Hurts is nowhere near ready to play quarterback in the NFL. He's not developed yet. He's had no time. He's had no preparation. And the last statement I'm going to make is if you put Carson Wentz with Sean Payton on that Saints offense right now because Drew Brees is struggling. He can't really make the throws anymore that he used to be able to make, you know, five years ago. If you put Carson Wentz on that offense, I guarantee you he would be at an MVP level just from the coaching he was able to receive. Yeah, before I get to uh, my kind of outlook for the season going forward, I want to give my my Jalen Hurts take. Um, a guy that I just feel is so irrelevant to even talk about. Um, if fans want to understand why he was the uh, number two QB the past two weeks, uh, don't don't be fooled into thinking that it's because he's uh, that the the Eagles see him as um, the the backup QB or that he could come in and take snaps at quarterback. It's because Doug Doug knows this offense lacks playmakers I need to I need to have him dressed and be able to uh, run a few of these gadget plays that I got and when he comes in there's normally uh, something good comes out of those those plays except for of course the the fumble um, that he had on the the botched handoff Um, it looked like an option play or read where um, he was faking it to miles and he was going to take it and go but the uh, the ball came out on the handoff anyway that's the reason he's dressing for the past two weeks. It's not because Doug's like, yeah, he's won the backup job going forward. Um, if anybody thinks that Jalen Hurts um, is a good QB or could come in and be a good QB or give you um, – could even give you what Carson's giving you right now is severely misinformed. And I just I, – I'm trying to be as respectful and kind as possible – but you just don't know diddly-poo about Jack, okay? 
if you think Jalen Hurts can come in and run this offense and be any more successful than Carson Wentz is, you don't know what you're talking about. You're looking at a guy who was benched in a national championship game because Nick Saban said this guy could not throw the ball down the field. Okay, number one. Then he transfers to another school because Tua beat him out for the starting job going into the, uh, the next season. So he goes to the only college in uh, the NCAA that just is a QB factory. You come play QB here, you're going to be great. Baker Mayfield, how's that really working out for you in Cleveland? I like Baker a lot, but you're just not seeing the results that we – expected to see based off what we saw in Oklahoma, right? So we're basing all of this Jalen Hurts hype off of what we saw at Oklahoma, right? So it's not working out for Baker. Kyler Murray playing lights out. He's got Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, uh, Kenyon Drake, uh, not to mention DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Good young team down there in Arizona, right? Um, But at some point, I don't think that Kyler Murray is going to be a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes. I think he settles down to the pack. He's going to have his success. Jalen Hurts isn't going to be one of those guys. He's not going to be a starter of an NFL team. He's not just going to magically come into a, uh, an NFL team and be able to produce the way he did at Oklahoma. Trying to keep long story short, if you think Jalen Hurts can come in and play um, as the starter for this team, you're just misinformed, and I don't know what else to say to you. Yeah, I agree. The reason they suit him up is just to add some life to this offense. It's just out of pure playmaking ability because he has that athleticism. And that's why I think he's going to make him a good backup quarterback is just off of his pure athleticism. But I, I really don't think he's ready or I don't think it's going to translate to the next level for him to be a great starting quarterback or even be just a regular starting quarterback. I just don't think he's got that in him. And like you said, we're not trying to be disrespectful or anything. We're just going off what our like our eyes tell us we're not at practice or anything like that we don't we don't get this inside info but from the eye test from what I see I don't think he has it and if anybody thinks that putting him in there is going to be far better than having Carson Wentz out there then you're very like you said very misinformed and yeah it's just like it's not as easy as they think oh just throw him in there because Wentz is playing bad like that's not how the NFL works I can't tell you how many times that I've seen, you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks have had terrible seasons or terrible starts to the season. You know, you don't just turn around and put your quarterback in the trash. Drew Brees has started off very poorly sometimes in his career. Even recently, when he was on the Saints, he's had really bad starts to the season. It's not the end of the world. You know, things can turn around. I just think the average Philly fan is very uneducated at times and very reactional with their response. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't have said it any better there. Uh, Eagles fans are definitely a different breed. One thing before, because I don't like talking about Jalen Hurts. I think it's a moot point. It just it doesn't matter. It's, he's irrelevant. Um, one question I do want to ask to kind of get your opinion. Um, last season, Carson have a couple bad games last year? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know. He had, a, he had a bad performance against New England, missed some throws. Against Seattle, he missed some throws. He probably had another bad game somewhere, but those are the two that jump off the page for me. At any point where you like, oh, throw in Nate Sudfeld. Oh, throw in Josh McCown. No, not at all, because the only reason people want to throw in Jalen Hurts is because they see he's an athlete. That's really the only reason. If you can, I, I doubt anybody can make a case for Jalen Hurts being a standout 
traditional quarterback while he was in college. The only reason people want him out there is because they see this, you know, playmaking ability and they're so infatuated by the college success and the kind of mobile quarterbacks that are in, in the NFL right now that that's why they want him out there. But yeah, nobody's ever going to be screaming for Nate Sudfeld to come in or, you know, who did we have for one season behind once? Was it Chase Daniels in his rookie year? Yeah. You know, nobody would ever scream for him to come in if Wentz was playing poorly. It's just – I don't know what it is, but when Philly fans see a backup quarterback have even the smallest bit of success, they scream from him, for him to come in when the, you know, starting quarterback's struggling. Yeah, I mean, if – Let's say we didn't draft Jalen Hurts, right? And we're just rolling with Nate Sudfeld. Let me give you two scenarios. We just rolling with Nate Sudfeld. We wouldn't hear a lick of Carson needs to be benched. We need somebody else. It would literally just be, oh, our quarterback's having a rough time. He's not playing well. We're going to continue to work through it. We would probably mimic the response that Doug's given us. You know, that he's not playing well. He's missing stuff. You know, we're not giving up on him. We're, we're going to work through it. You know, why? Because we've seen that he's a franchise QB. We've seen it time and time again that this guy has franchise talent. That's probably what everybody would be thinking right now if Jalen Hurts wasn't on the roster. Now, another scenario. What if Jalen Hurts was a sixth-round pick? What if Jalen Hurts was a sixth-round draft pick? Would there be this much clamoring to put him into the game? No, I don't think so at all. And I think that's on the Eagles. You, like, made this bed. And you had to expect something like this was going to happen if Carson Wentz and the team struggled at the beginning of the season that somebody was going to be calling for uh, Jalen Hurts to come in. So I, I don't feel bad for the Eagles organization. I feel bad for Wentz for them putting him in this position. But you're the one that made the bed. You did this to yourself. So you can't really make excuses for it and say, well, we're going to clean things up because you have to. or else This whole organization is going to be in shambles and this team's probably – it's just going to continue to play worse throughout the season. Yeah, not to get – I didn't mean to go into that Jalen Hurts rabbit hole, but it's uh, it's just one of those those hot topics for uh, for me as a, a huge Eagles fan to just – and a huge Carson fan at that. And I try to be as objective as possible when discussing Carson's struggles uh, through three weeks, uh, like we talked about it uh, pre-pod, that um, I get I get that he's struggling. I get that he's missing throws. I get that he's he's his footwork looks, you know, awful, you know, quote unquote. These are the things I'm seeing from from other fans and uh other pages on uh Instagram is you know, his footwork's awful, he's missing throws, he's he's got the yips, he he's he's worried about Jalen Hurts, which is completely false. Um, you know, he he just doesn't have it anymore. He's he's going through something at home, whatever, you know, those excuses are. Um Every QB in the National Football League misses throws. They miss easy throws. Uh, I was telling you uh, before the show started that uh, last night's game with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, two future Hall of Famers, I watched each of them miss two easy touchdowns, easy throws. They just missed them, Uh, and that happens. But they're not magnified the way Carson's are because, one, their teams are winning, of course, and, um, two – they have talent that does get open and they do make those throws. So um, I get that Carson's struggling and I'm not trying to gloss over it and say that none of it's his fault. He, you know, he deserves no blame, but I have a post coming out tonight. Uh, and I just wanted to talk about it with you uh, on the podcast. Um, it's about the, the top five reasons for Carson's struggles. And I have them one through five 
in this order. So number one, the lack of talent outside. The fact that you are throwing to a 33-year-old Deshaun Jackson, uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who needs no other explanation, uh, a career practice squad player in Greg Ward, and John Hightower, who's a rookie, who um, is a rookie. It begins and ends there. Um, you have no Alshon Jeffrey. You have no Jalen Rager, who's also a rookie. You have no weapons on the outside. The second is play calling. Doug is doing Carson no favors as a play caller. He has not changed this offense from day one in 2016 to week three in 2020. It's the same offense. It's the same concepts. It's the same route schemes. It's the same run fits. It's the same offense. That's why teams are able to game plan Zach Ertz out of the, the picture, even though he had a decent game uh, against the Bengals. Um, this, def- this team is just too easy to game plan against uh, offensively. And um, he just, he gets no help from Doug there. Uh, And then third is Carson Wentz. Like I said, I'm not going to dismiss the fact that he's not playing well. So he deserves some blame. Uh, The injuries, whether that be, like I said, to Alshon Jeffrey, to Deshaun coming in and out of the lineup, to Brandon Brooks being gone, the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And then that brings me to number five, the defense. The defense this year has given up 29 points per game, which you deserve to lose every single game. If you're giving up 29 points, you just, you know, unless your offense is scoring 32 plus, you're probably going to win, lose all three of those games. And we, uh, well, we haven't lost all three of those games. I'm sorry. Correction. You're going to lose and tie those three games. So um, I just think there's more to the story when we're talking about Carson's struggles. And that's why I'm nowhere even near um, the end and giving up on Carson. Yeah, I, I can't agree anymore with all of those points. And it's important to note that it's really difficult to replace a franchise quarterback, but I feel like it's even easier for the Eagles to go out and find another Frank Wright, you know, find somebody that can help fix Carson's mechanics. He's only 27. He's got so much left to play in his career, and it would just be an absolute shame if we wasted it and ended up getting rid of him, and then he went somewhere else and was able to ball out because – I think he would do that. I think he just has that kind of potential. And, you know, the average Philly fan just doesn't factor in everything that you just said with the play calling, the injuries, the lack of speed and able to getting open on the outside, the play calling, you know, everything that goes on with it. It's just, it's a shame to me that people don't see that and they just call for the next guy to come in and play. Yeah, I think the the best analogy I can think of is uh, Eagles fans think it's a the problem is just a a la carte meal like the the steak is Carson Wentz that's the issue when I think the real issue is a big pot of stew. You got the the play calling Carson Wentz isn't playing well the injuries the lack of talent on the outside all bundled together and that's why this offense isn't playing well and that's why this team isn't playing well because the defense isn't isn't holding its own anyway. Of course you get the eight sacks. That's fine and dandy, but uh, you gave up 23 points and you're giving up 29 points per game uh, through three weeks, but um, not to go long winded. I just want to kind of talk about an article I read today from uh, Dave Spadaro um, of Philadelphia Eagles.com. He covers the team closely. I know most Eagles fans probably heard about him um, or heard of him, but he put out an article today talking about, um, three ways to kind of fix it going forward and to be optimistic. And I think after reading that, I feel the same way. I don't think, um, I think it would take a, 
um, a loss next week and then probably um, if we lose the next three games, um, then, yeah, you could probably put the nail in my coffin of optimism going forward um, because, of course, you have no shot to make the playoffs or be competitive after your, what, 05-1 or 06-1. Um, yeah. That's what it, it's really tough stretch coming up. Yeah, but I think if you dissect each game as it comes up, you can kind of uh, trick yourself into thinking the Eagles have a chance. Uh, this week, I think the Eagles have a brilliant chance against the 49ers. Um, even though it's on the road across country, uh, they might be without Jimmy Garoppolo. If he does play, he will be compromised. They have injuries across their whole defense. Um I think Debo Samuel's still out. Their running backs are still going to be out. So uh, a team in shambles as well. So I think the Eagles um, have a shot to win the game. Of course, if they continue to play the way they are, uh, I don't th- I don't see them getting a win at all this season. The This type of football can't win uh, against anybody except maybe the Jets. But um, I think just the things he outlined in the, in the article were uh, super exciting to think about. Uh, the first is running the football. The Eagles need to run the football consistently. And like I said earlier, not with just Miles Sanders, with Corey, with Boston. And if you don't trust those guys, you got to go get somebody that you do trust to put behind Miles to take those, uh, those extra carries. Um, what else did he say? Use the no huddle offense early and often. And Doug uh, spoke on that today in his press conference that they need to use that to kind of uh, keep Carson fresh, keep him um, out of his own head if he's struggling. Uh, stuff like that. So, and the hurry up offense, the no huddle offense, uh, typically in uh, Doug's tenure here with the Eagles has been pretty successful. Uh, move Zach Ertz as much as possible. I think he had seven for 70, which is, uh, you know, a good stat line for a tight end. Uh, you could just see that the Bengals really did a, uh, a lot to try to keep him out um, of the game and out of the end zone. Uh, another thing that Dave said was get Deshaun Jackson involved. Uh, it's hard to do when he's not on the field, um, whether they have him on the pitch count or he's getting hurt between those two things. He comes off the field a lot. Um, put Carson Wentz in motion, couldn't agree anymore. And then on defense, you have to bring the heat. And uh, I think you saw Jim did that a lot more, um, whether that was he was actually bringing the heat or he disguised like he was. Uh, the defense, uh, The defensive line really got after Joe Burrow in this game with eight-plus sacks. I don't know if we ended with eight, but – um, and then the last thing he says is be aggressive. Um, you have to be aggressive. So I think if, if you really try to be optimistic and think about those things uh, that the Eagles could do going forward, and if Carson flips a switch and plays better, I think, I think the Eagles could be a playoff team, especially with three wildcard teams, and especially in the, uh, the NFC least division that we play in. So I just wanted to end my take with that because I kind of got excited reading that today. Just um, I'm always going to be optimistic with the Eagles. I'm always going to be optimistic until uh, it's kind of stupid to be optimistic. So um, hearing all that, I don't know if you got to read that article from Dave, but what are your takeaways from hearing that? I mean, hearing out all the points you just gave, they all really sound like realistic to me. I think they could all happen in terms of the Eagles having success on uh, the offensive side of the ball. I do think they need to give Miles Sanders the ball more. Um, the only one that really just sticks out to me where I don't see getting better is the receiver position. I have a tough time uh, being able to believe that uh, Deshaun Jackson can stay healthy on the field and that the other receivers can get wide open. My best hope right now is just for Alshon to come back 
and uh, Jalen Rager to step up as soon as he comes back because I think he's going to be a very important piece of the offense. And in terms of the San Francisco game coming up, if Nick Mullins, I think the backup quarterback's name is, if yep. he plays, I think the Eagles really do have a good shot of being able to pull it out just because of the rest of the struggles that the 49ers have going on. But if I see Jimmy G start the game, I I think I'm going to worry a lot just because of the way that Kyle Shanahan is able to draw up that uh, 49ers offense. He's kind of like that Sean McVay. He's a very offensive-minded scheme coach, and we saw how much we struggled with it last week. So I just have a tough time like seeing the Eagles win that game if you have Jimmy Garoppolo out there. But I do really liked what I saw from the defensive line yesterday. I finally saw them get after the quarterback. I've been waiting for them to dominate the whole year. And finally being able to see that was a great sign. So maybe they can build off that. That This is like for the first time this week, I finally feel like I saw something that we have to build off of. And that was how dominant our defensive line was yesterday. I just, I need to see more. I need to see more bright spots because I, I feel like we just haven't seen enough of it like at all this year. The only bright spot we saw from the offense was the first half during the Washington game. And that was, most likely because of the deep balls that we were able to hit to Jalen Rager. You know, that was the really big part of that offense. And um, Dallas Goddard making those great plays was a really big part. I just need to see more before I'm able to be a lot, like, more optimistic like you are right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's very hard to be optimistic going forward because it, you know, you're you're just really believing in the fact that um, something's going to, you know, change overnight and Carson's going to flip the switch. But um, I think over the past four years of uh, Doug's tenure, it's, it's just really not a good bet to, to count us out. It's not a good bet to bet against us. And it's not a good bet to not be optimistic that something's going to happen because um, they normally pull things out. You've been in the playoffs the last three years, uh, regardless of how you've gotten there. And if it's been pretty, um, the results matter more than the journey in uh, the NFL. So, um, I mean, I don't want to bet against Doug and Carson right now, so uh, I'm not going to. Um, they're going to really have to throw a lot of dirt on me before I uh, give up on this team. So I'm excited for week four. Hopefully I can get the, the, the first win of 2020 and enjoy a, a full week because I've yet to do that. We have yet to do that. So um, I think uh, I think this this week uh, against San Francisco, and I know we said that about uh, week three against the Bengals, is is really going to be a uh, a season make or break, you know? Because I don't think if if you lose to San Francisco, I don't see you going to Pittsburgh and beating them, and if you lose that game, I definitely don't see you going uh, to play Baltimore and beating them. So, yeah, I, I don't think just from what I saw the past four years, I don't think I can ever count the Eagles out until they're mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. And just one question I want to ask you before we, you know, end it here is, do you think out of the three Wentz, Roseman and Peterson, do you think one of them's gone at the end of the end of this year? So that, that definitely requires a lot of context. If this team continues to play the way it has been, um, if it, if it's just Carson at the end of the year where this defense is playing lights out, uh, Doug seen on film that Carson's just missing wide open guys. Um, and the only problem is Carson. I could see, you know, how we and Doug collaborating on the fact that, you know, we have to move on from him. He was the thing holding us back. But 
Uh, if you're asking me, in my opinion, I think the thing holding this team back um, is Doug and Howie. Howie for not making the correct moves uh, to surround Carson with the, the talent that I think he needs to be um, uh, super successful. And the fact that Doug just continues to be a stubborn coach stuck in his ways uh, of 2016. Like I said, he continues to um, call the plays like he always has. And he continues to call the same offense with no um, diversity, no overhauling. And hearing him talk about today that they, they kind of need to discuss overhauling the offense is super, super encouraging as a fan. But um, if I had to predict if one of them was gone at the end of the season, it would be Doug. Yeah, my gut feeling, just answering it from my standpoint, my gut feeling says that I don't know if I'm going to necessarily say one of them's gone, but there will be a change at the end of the season. And if it's going to be anybody, it's Doug or Howie. I think Carson Wentz's job is the most secure. All right, guys, that'll do it for episode 27 of the Fans of Philly podcast. If you enjoyed this one, as always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify. Leave us a review. We greatly appreciate those. While you're at it, go and follow James and I on Instagram at Fresh Prince of Philly at Eagles fans. That's where we'll post any new episodes of the podcast as well as other dope Eagles content. So until Friday, go Birds! <laughs>